Happy Palm Sunday. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, you may do that now. It's a good time. We're going to get there uh, in a little bit. Today our theme is is peace, and uh, we have started. Also, let me invite you to pull this little yellow sheet out as well from your your insert. Um, We started with Palm Sunday um, with the procession of our children and the palm branches and how great of a day that is. I wanted you to have um, just a little process. I don't know if you're like me, but even growing up in the church like I did, I didn't really, wasn't introduced or didn't, the idea of Holy Week didn't really stick to me until uh, much uh, more recently in my adult life, and uh, why do we call it Holy Week, and what's the deal between Palm Sunday and Easter, and um, I wanted you to have uh, just a little description of the last week of Jesus' life, and uh, this is uh, taking several different Bible passages and piecing together uh, what likely happened during His life, but uh, then we wanted to indicate like Palm Sunday, and on the back side, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and to help you, if it's if it's helpful to know why we do certain things this week as a church and why we do them on those particular days. And it's to help us rehearse that last week of Jesus's life. And so that we can walk through that together. Uh, Today is really about peace. You know, Jesus, before he ascended um, back to heaven, he he made a really great um, promise to us. He said that I give you peace And the peace that I give to you is not like the world gives, because the peace I have is different. And today we're going to talk about that peace and what makes the peace of Jesus different and and why is it that we and where do we look sometimes elsewhere in our lives for peace that's outside of what God desires for us. So peace is our theme for the day because we're all looking for well-being, right? That's that's just an irresistible, uh, fundamental human need and urge is for well-being. No matter where you go, what culture you're in, no matter what uh, period of history, people are always looking for well-being and trying to define what is well-being and, and how do you attain well-being. I uh, had the opportunity to join several of you a couple of weeks ago at San Quentin. And uh, this church has a long history of ministering to prisoners there. And uh, I had the opportunity, one of the, the guys pulled me aside. We got to pray in the corner uh, before our uh, worship service began. And he was telling me that in June he has a, a parole date set and uh, where he'll go before the parole board. And he was inviting uh, me and us to be praying for him. His name's Forrest if you'd like to be praying for him. And uh, part of what, as he and other uh, people like him in that prison, they have been working, many of them, very diligently to try to regain well-being in their life. And especially for somebody like Forrest, who's about to transition back from from incarcerated life into uh, normal life in society. He's looking and praying for well-being, that God would restore well-being to him. Uh, we look for well-being in a lot of places and in a lot of situations. We um, uh, know that many are, are seeking and desiring, rightfully so, safety in their schools. The march around the country yesterday demonstrated that, that desire for the well-being of students uh, in our schools and for their safety. Others seek out relief or seek out 
uh, pleasure through alcohol and drugs. A couple of years ago, an article uh, in the Marin IJ uh, talked about uh, the day before school let out, a big party bus full of 33 teenagers, ages 15 to 17, were driving around from all over Marin County, were driving around. They, they had in the, the bus a bunch of alcohol, a bunch of prescription drugs, and marijuana. And uh, this is an increasing problem among our youth right here in our county and uh, the extreme pressures that many of them are uh, under. Uh, Just a couple of years ago, statistics tell us that 76% of 11th graders uh, at one high school here in Marin have already used alcohol or drugs, and one out of three talked about having at least once participated in binge drinking. Now, whatever the reasons for those statistics, the reality is that it's an increasing reality for many families and lives to try to seek out well-being. What is it that brings well-being to our lives? We, we began talking a few weeks ago about Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and how a transition in that gospel, the way Luke describes the life of Jesus, happens in that verse when it describes Jesus as turning his face toward Jerusalem. And today, on Palm Sunday, we we focus on his arrival, finally, in Jerusalem. After a lot of weeks thinking about it, listening to what he was teaching, watching what he was doing, and uh, we, we learn today that Jesus has come to empower us for optimal well-being. That we are to seek our well-being in Jesus. In fact, uh, one of the verses used to describe uh, Jesus is uh, reminiscent of uh, what the angel said in Luke chapter 2 at the birth of Jesus. Here's what it says in Luke 19 verse 38. Let me just paint the picture in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was coming from the west side. He, he mounted, kind of went up on the crest, the, the ridge line of the Mount of Olives, and he's about to descend down into uh, the valley, uh, right as he would then go back up into the city of Jerusalem. And, and as he comes, what happens is that uh, people are lining the streets, and um, he, he looks out over the city, and, and uh, he's, he's preparing to enter in there. And this is what the people are saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's entering as a king. In fact, it was a common practice for uh, Israelite kings when, at their coronation to come in on a donkey. Uh, it was uh, their, their praise of him, welcoming him in this sense as a king as he enters the city. And this is what they say too. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That sounds an awful lot like what the angels told the shepherds when they were announcing the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth and goodwill upon those whom his, upon whom his favor rests. Jesus is talking and is described as the one who brings peace. In your insert, you also have, because of that, uh, these little pictures. I wanted to give you just a pictorial form. If you wanted to summarize the life of Jesus, you might do it in three pictures like this. Uh, who is Jesus? Well... It's a cradle. Jesus is one who came as God in the flesh at Christmas Day. So He was born uniquely into the world. And His unique purpose, the reason He set His face toward Jerusalem, was so that He might find His way to the cross. Because without the cross and His receiving the sin of your life and mine and the world upon Himself, you and I still live without any hope, without any hope of peace, 
without any hope of lasting well-being, it's because of the cross. And then with the crown, that's what we'll celebrate next week, is the, his coming to life in power, his receiving the crown. He now sits at the right hand of the Father in his rightful place uh, in the heavens. The idea of peace is described here. Let's read a couple of verses. As he comes into Jerusalem and he's riding on this donkey and uh, people are lining the streets, here's, here's how it describes it in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Verse 38. Blessed is the King! who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them talk like this. Do you hear what they're saying about you? <laughs> Jesus like, yep. Yep. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept. Over it, Jesus wept over the city that he's observing. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Recognition. This idea of peace is uh, used in the uh, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, and it replaces the word, the Hebrew word shalom. And, and in our English I, uh, vocabulary, the idea of peace doesn't really capture the Hebrew uh, term shalom because it's, it's a much bigger uh, idea. Because in Hebrew, it's a very dense theological term. It embraces concepts like harmony and security. It describes things like uh, serenity and being in right relationships and a wholeness to life and things like health and prosperity and even success. You, you may recognize it if, if you've ever heard uh, people speaking Hebrew to each other. They'll say shalom. And you might know it as a, a regular greeting for that particular language, but it means so much more when we're talking about it biblically. Jesus says, and He weeps over the city, He says, If you, even you, had known this day, what would bring you peace? God's blessing, perhaps most of all, His greatest blessing is one of peace. Psalm 29.11 describes God's goodness and His desire to bless you and me, with His peace, with His shalom, with this well-being of all of our lives. He doesn't... He, he wants to bless you. He wants to empower you to live at optimum well-being. You know, almost every Sunday when I stand here and I give the benediction, it is a description. It's from Deuteronomy and it's the Aaronic blessing. The Lord keep you and bless you. And at the very end it says, and may the Lord give you peace. May the Lord give you shalom. May God empower you to live at optimal well-being. That's God's desire for your life as you turn to Him, as you receive Him and, and walk with Him. Sometimes 
Missing out on the shalom makes Jesus weep. You know, there's only two times in the Bible where it describes Jesus as weeping. You'll probably remember one in John chapter 11 when uh, Lazarus died. And he's been buried in the tomb and his sisters Mary and Martha are weeping and the crowds with them are weeping and Jesus enters into that grief and he weeps and he stands outside the tomb and the Bible describes him as being deeply moved. And I think in response to death and the pain and and struggle of death, Jesus weeps because he knows that death is the consequence of sin. And so he weeps over death and its consequences in our life. And the second time it describes Jesus weeping is when he mounts the crest of uh, that Mount of Olives, looking down over Jerusalem at this moment on Palm Sunday. And he looks over the city, and he's filled and overwhelmed with grief, and he weeps because of the hard-heartedness of the people, because he knows that he is the one who can give them optimal well-being, this shalom. And he says, if you, only you, had known this day... Who brings peace to you, but you won't receive it? And he weeps. What is it that moves the heart of God? It's those who miss the shalom and the fullness and the well-being he desires for us. There are blinders that prevent us from recognizing and receiving this peace of Jesus. Remember the Pharisees? I'm sorry, I've got a piece of tape I keep stepping on. (laughs) It is really bugging me. Every every time it sticks my shoe, I keep thinking I'm stepping on gum or something. (laughs) That'll prevent me from moving forward, that's for sure. There are blinders that prevent us from recognizing and receiving the peace of Jesus. You know, we see the Pharisees come along, and remember, there's this rejoicing. Some are ready to receive Jesus, but others aren't. And some of those who are lining the street this day on that Sunday will be the same ones joining in the crowds on the following Friday, yelling, crucify Jesus. So some are really embracing him. Others are kind of mixed up. And still others are saying, no way. The Pharisees, when they hear this language, looking to Jesus and describing him as the coming king and and doing all of these kingly entry uh, responses, they're like, Jesus, shut these people up. You can't let them talk this way about you. And, and I can almost just see him. I just wonder if he just kind of smirks and shrugs his shoulders. And you know what? If, if they aren't allowed to praise me, then even the rocks are going to praise and they're going to cry out. The cry out is uh, taken from Habakkuk chapter 2 as a statement of, of judgment on those who don't receive the coming Prince of Peace. Seeking peace We also have blinders not just in practicing religion. Uh, The problem with the Pharisees was that instead of pursuing relationship with God, that they got ensnared, kind of like I did on this tape, they got ensnared and stuck with, with practicing religion and being busy and engaged in religious activity. But they forgot about pursuing this relationship with God. And that, that's one of the great blinders that can prevent us from embracing the shalom, the peace, the, the optimal well-being that Jesus desires for us. And then others begin to look outside of Jesus. Right? He, says, he says at the end that, that you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. you. You didn't look to me as the provider of this peace and shalom for your life. And, and we can do the same thing. We look for well-being in so many other places. Just two to uh, give some examples. We, we can look for shalom and peace 
to satisfy our deepest needs in relationships. And we all know the importance of relationships in our lives, don't we? We know that they're important. But sometimes we can be fooled into assuming that if my relationships with other people are deep, and if they're strong, and if they're healthy, then I need little else in my life. And we can throw ourselves into seeking a spouse because we think, well, a different spouse or the right spouse will make me happy. Or we can throw ourselves as parents into our kids and just say, if I raise my kids right, then then that will fulfill me. Or we can throw ourselves into socializing with friends and co-workers and, and finding the next great party and the next great outing and event and experience. And we think, if, if I just get enough of that, then, then my well-being will be at its maximum. We remember the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus and His disciples are walking through the region of the Samaritans. And the disciples go off to find some food. And Jesus finds Himself at this well at midday. And... And this lone woman comes to draw her water and he begins to engage her in this conversation. And he, uh, he says, hey, go, go call your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And they begin to talk about the many relationships that she sought out fulfillment and well-being out of these relationships in her life. And in that process, she begins to recognize a thirst in her, a thirst for well-being that was not quenched in these relationships and Jesus gives us great teaching about how He is the one who brings fulfilling water, living water that could fill her and quench her deepest thirst for well-being and to bring the shalom into her life. And she turns and she receives that. And she goes back into the village with great enthusiasm and brings other people out to meet the man who told her everything she ever did. <laughs> wow. So relationships are not... The beginning and end with other people of finding our shalom. It's in Jesus and relating to Him. Sometimes we can seek for peace outside of Jesus and we find ourselves in the midst of addictions because we recognize a longing within us at times. And there are times when, uh, inexplicably to us, something calls out to us and it gives us a promise that, that this longing in me will be met if I just begin to do this or to, to take this or to engage in this kind of relationship. And, and I think that somehow that's going to meet my longing. And then we give ourselves to it and slowly, maybe quickly, we find ourselves then ensnared in it and trapped. And we keep consuming that addiction, hoping that it might bring well-being, and yet it doesn't satisfy. And we've forgotten to look to Jesus as the one who will bring shalom. We see it in our teenagers in this county. We see it among the high alcohol rate among adults. And on down the list we might go with sexual addictions and addictions to screens and technologies. And you could probably name anything you want. It can become an addiction if it becomes what you think is the source of your optimal well-being, and it ensnares you. And Jesus says, I have come to give you peace, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Oh, if you, only you, had known today what would bring you peace. So how do we remove the blinders? How do we come and have a receptive heart? How, how do we become more regularly those people who welcome Jesus and the shalom, that, that peace and the well-being He wants to bring to our entire lives? 
Part of it is, is by prayer. I just want to invite you, if, if this is something in this season of your life that, uh, that you need to pray about, pray about it. Because if, if you're thinking that your spiritual life is going to be this constant, smooth, upward trajectory, it's likely not. For most of us, the testimonies of a faithful life are sort of ups and peaks and valleys. And it's sort of, we hope over time, it, it is, from the time you start, it is an upward movement, but it's rarely a straight line. Does anybody here ever lived a straight, upward trajectory of spiritual growth in the Lord? I've not. I wish I had. But you might find yourself today in a season where maybe your heart has become hard, or maybe you, it's been a long time since you've really sensed the closeness of Jesus as your friend and, and as your constant companion. And today, I just invite you to be praying about it. One of my favorite uh, Christian singers was Keith Green. He died several years ago. And he describes a song he wrote. I think it's called, Lord, You're Beautiful. Um, and uh, he describes writing it. He, he said he was up one night about midnight and he was writing a letter to God and just kind of pouring out his heart and wondering why after all of these years of walking with Jesus did he feel distant? And after all of these years was his hard, uh, heart feeling hard? And this is what he said. He said, God, I want baby skin. Have you ever held a baby? Do you ever love the skin of a baby? What's a baby's skin like, grandparents? Really soft. Yeah. These are new grandparents right here. It's really soft. And his prayer was this, Lord, won't you give me baby skin on my heart again? You know how calluses are developed? Calluses are developed by doing the same thing over and over to a particular part of your body. And if you do it long enough... You'll, you'll get these hard bits on your skin. Sometimes they're helpful, but they're never helpful on your heart and your response to the Lord. Because God desires more than religious practice, more than just coming to attend a worship service on a Sunday or, or offering up a prayer occasionally. The psalmist writes, God, you, you don't delight in burnt offerings and all of my religious practices as much as you delight in a broken Spirit before you, contrite heart, that's what you do not despise. That's what God desires. Is More of us, me included, need more baby skin on our hearts to replace the calloused parts of us. So that may be something you pray about this week. We also, uh, I just want to commend to you your, your personal habits of spiritual development. Sometimes we call them disciplines. But what is it, are the practices? Because so often I find in my life it's so easy to kind of move away from the things I know I need to do to regularly allow God to, to speak and to minister and to remind me of His love, to remind me that He is the one who delivers His peace, His shalom, His well-being. And when I begin to miss out on those moments of, of developing this relationship, right? It's not about religious practice as much as putting myself with God consciously and regularly so that He can have His way in me. Because His way for me is always better than my way for myself. Do you believe that? That God's way for you will always be better than your way for yourself. It really is. But we get the wires crossed, we get confused, and we begin to think that something else might bring that fulfillment and well-being instead of Jesus. And God invites us again and again 
If you, only you, this morning on Palm Sunday would know that it is Jesus who brings peace. He is the one who brings shalom. He is the one who wants to empower you today for optimal well-being. What a life. What an invitation. What an opportunity for you and for me to walk in wholeness and holiness with Him. Father, we pray today that You would help us with this. And God, we don't come in shame that, God, we, we mess things up or, or we, we don't live a consistent life as much as we would like or whatever it is. That, that's part of our journey. But today we want to come and lay that down at the foot of the cross. We, we take these, these palm fronds in our hands and we look at You, Jesus, and we want to claim that You are Hosanna. God, save us. That You are the One who brings peace, O Prince of Peace. That You are the Deliverer and Provider of our Shalom. You are the One who empowers our well-being. And help us to be able to recognize the substitutes of well-being for our lives. The sin that so easily entangles us, help us to, to take that off and to lay it down so that we can run our race with endurance with You as our running partner. Oh, how good that is. Teach us, guide us. Prince of Peace, walk with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to open up our last song together. It's an opportunity for you. Perhaps you don't know uh, much of what I'm talking about, what it means to know...